howdy do, Who fans. Welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name is Gary. And my name is Adam. And welcome to episode 260. Yeah. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I... I'm the Doctor! For now, for this moment, I am the Doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour, and the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, and I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire. Yeah. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. And not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Howdy, 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 do fans. Welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. This is episode 260. 260 is upon us. Wowzers. Wowzers. So I, I hope more than ever that you've all had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something Doctor, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Related. Related. Yeah. We hope that all of our listeners and readers are staying safe and taking care of each other, taking care of yourselves and all that jazz. It's a weird old time at the minute. I don't know about anyone else, but uh, the UK is on official lockdown. We are just, yeah, confined to our homes as many other countries are at the minute, so... Yeah, in actual fact, now's a great time to be on lockdown because all of those Blu-ray sets have been out over the last year or so and you've not watched over every episode and all the special features and anything you want to catch up on. If you've not watched Torchwood or Sarah Jane before, now's a great time. to uh, Or any Doctor Who books that you've picked up. So I'm very, very much guilty of this. I know, Adam, you are sometimes where... Uh, we we pick up a book because it will look great on the shelf, expanding the old shelf of all the Doctor Who books. But um, I don't get around to reading all of them, so now's a good time to to go back and and pick the old book up off the shelf as well. So yes, now more than ever, hope that you're all you're all taking care of yourselves and and that we can bring a bit of Doctor Who entertainment into your lives while you're stuck stuck indoors doing nout. Mm. Yeah. Indeed. How have you been, my good, my good buddy? I know that you're uh, finally, finally off work now. They've, they've buckled under the pressure and sent you all home. So, yeah. how are you doing? Um, 
now that you're at home and stuff, you're good. Yes, I'm very good. Thanks. Yeah, I'm actually really enjoying the quarantine. So I was um, <laughs> <laughs> at the weekend, I was still working and um, a lot of people were dropping out and they were sort of extending my shifts for this week. And I was thinking, so a lot of people where they were getting sent home, my shifts were going up and up and longer and longer. And I thought, oh, no. Um, and then I got a phone call on Sunday saying, right, they've decided that um, once you shut the store today, uh, we're going to close because I was in charge of the store on, on Sunday. So I was like, all oh, right. So I locked up and it's quite a strange feeling actually, because it was a sort of relief because um, I work in retail and, you know, there, it was quite concerning because we were still busy and I was serving people and I thought, I don't know, I don't know if we should be open. So I was pretty relieved they closed, to be honest. Mm. And um, yeah, so I've been off the last two days and I'll be honest with you, I've been loving it. Um, it's gloriously sunny here in the UK it's, I've been out in the garden. I've been really good. I, I have properly quarantined. I popped to the, the corner shop to get some bread and milk on Monday, and that is it. That's the only time I've been out. Um, I've been in the garden. And, uh, yeah, I've been, and I've been doing lots of Doctor Who-related stuff, which, uh, like you said, things that, um, you know, that I have just sort of would normally try and cram in some in-between work. It's been lovely. I've been sat in the garden. Been reading the At Childhood's End book, the Sophie Older book, which uh, I started about two weeks ago and was getting to read sort of a little bit every night. And yeah, I sat in the garden and read about four or five chapters yesterday. I was I've almost finished it. Um, absolutely loving it. Um, I listened to some Big Finish. Uh, got the new First Doctor set, uh, Volume Four. Listened to the story Return to Scarrow oh, nice. um, yeah. with David Bradley. I don't know if you've have you picked any of those up or grabbed any of those yet mm -hmm. yeah have you yeah. listened to return scara yet no very good sounds really awesome yeah. yes it is yeah i really really enjoyed that it's weird isn't it because with bradley he doesn't really sound like hartnell and he doesn't really sort of act like hartnell and but yet i suppose it's a bit of a um, richard hundrell thing i kind of like him so much that it still works for me if you know what i mean i think if it had been anyone else, I don't know if I'd enjoy them so much. Um, but I, I find him absolutely brilliant uh, on those stories. Mm. So, yeah, I listened to that. And obviously the only other thing I've really been doing is watching DVDs. With The story we're reviewing this week being a seven-parter uh, obviously has taken up most of my time. But uh, I have managed to cram in a couple of episodes of the Faceless Ones as well, which I managed to get uh, just at the end of the week. So um, I'm halfway through. I've watched three episodes so far. Uh, probably shouldn't say anything because I guess we'll review it at some point. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, have you watched any of that yet? No, not yet. I've been busy watching other stuff that I've missed out on. Over yeah, the past it's lovely few to be able to yeah. catch up, isn't it? I bet you've been watching all the Mandalorian and all that stuff. And uh, oh yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, Disney right. Plus it only landed yesterday in the UK. We're recording this on mm. Wednesday. It landed yesterday, but uh, yeah, I already watched the Mandalorian when that was going out in the US. Naughty. Naughty, naughty. I know, but I am re-watching it though. So that and the uh, the, the latest season of The Clone Wars. Oh, yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. So I, I did watch a few of the special features that I missed on the season 26 box set. Oh, yes. So the behind the sofa was cracking. And the location, you know, when they um, when they go back to the locations. I uh, love those. Yes. It's... Oh, Really, really cool. So, yeah, I've been catching up on that and also catching up on uh, just some stories that I hadn't seen in, in ages. So it prompted me, this prompted, to, something prompted me to do that was when we were recording last week, 
there was a few stories that we mentioned and we couldn't remember whether we had reviewed them or what scores we gave and that stuff. Yeah. So let's not remember. Yeah. I know who would have thought. So extraordinary. Yeah. As I was looking through that list, as we were talking and I was looking through, cause we have a spreadsheet. So Adam and I are very organized. We have a, we have a, a Google spreadsheet, which has got every single doctor who story listed out very nicely of all the doctors and stuff. And as I was scrolling through, looking for those stories that we mentioned, I was thinking, Oh wow! I haven't seen any of these stories in bloody ages. Mm. Um, yeah, so I've watched a few classics uh, over the last week. Uh, I've watched um, the Ice Warriors. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, haven't seen that in a while. I've watched Colony in Space, uh, along with Inferno, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, for this review. Uh, I've watched the Ark in Space. Oh wow! I haven't watched that for ages. And yeah, exactly. I've not seen it in so long. Uh, I also went back and watched um, a couple of the Capaldi stories as well because really? over on our Discord server, a, a bunch of people were saying how much they've like Capaldi is their doctor and how much they love Capaldi and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, mate, I just haven't watched any Capaldi in so long. I always seem to skip his doctor, and either watch you know Matt Smith or Tennant or mm. you know so yeah. I'm the same, actually. I, I mean, I love, I really like Capaldi's Doctor, but uh, weirdly enough, I haven't been back and watched any of his episodes um, for quite some time. Now you mention it, I haven't really thought about it much before. Uh, I think a lot of the time, Clara puts me off a lot of his, I have to be honest. I'm not a massive Clara fan, so. Um, but yeah, actually, I might dip into some Capaldi, now you mention it. I'm thinking, I actually like a lot of the stuff um, from series... What was his first series? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. Which um, I know gets a bit of a bashing, um, but I'm thinking of like I loved Mummy on the Orient Express. I remember mm. really liking that one. I loved how Pertwee-esque he was in his outfit and stuff like that. I th- am I right in remembering? I don't think you liked his outfit in that, did you? Or was that someone else? Uh, no. I know, I I know somebody cool. who doesn't yeah. like that outfit. Um, I bet you're dying to watch in the forest of the night, though, aren't you? Oh, oh God! <laughs> Shudders. Was that series? Was that that series? Was that series? Yeah, nine? series eight. Yeah. I'll tell you the one I do like, and I even like Clara in this, is uh, the Zygon Tupata. That is a cracker. And she's good in that. I really, I love it when she turns evil, starts firing oh, series launches nine. and stuff. Yeah. Series nine, yes, that's uh, that's another one I wouldn't mind going back on. And that brilliant speech at the end. So there is some great stuff. Um, I suppose Capaldi really hit his stride with series 10, didn't he, with Bill? I think that was a lovely, that really freshened things up, um, I think, pairing yes. him with Bill. That was, yeah. that was a good series, series 10. I liked a lot of that stuff. No, no, it was good. No, I agree. Mm. Yeah, so I went back and watched Listen from Series 8. Gosh, I haven't watched that for ages. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and I've also mm. went to Series 9 and watched Sleep No More. Because, Did you really? Yeah, because I remember when we reviewed that. I, you slated I, it. <laughs> yeah, I think I gave it the you lowest absolutely score. absolutely slated it. Yes, yeah. I remember. Pretty sure I rated that like a, a two, I think, or one Something or a two. Like yeah. And I actually said on the show, I remember vividly saying that I absolutely, I don't really use the word very much, but I hated that story. You I did? I really did, yeah. And I uh, went and gave that another watch because I thought, as we, you know, experience lots of times on the show, going back and watching some of the old stuff, our opinions change and stuff. But no, it's still rubbish. Oh, it's really? I thought com- you were going to say, oh, <laughs> yeah. It hasn't improved, unfortunately, for me. Just personally, I know a lot of people do like it, but for me, it's, um, yeah, it just doesn't hit the mark on any type of, th- any level of storytelling or character writing or anything like that. It just doesn't work, in my opinion. 
I've had no desire to go back and watch that, I must admit. Although I did want to watch it. I think that's one of the few episodes on the box set that's got a commentary. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, I might give that a listen because that might be interesting to see what, you know, what they were going for with that story. Because I think that's the thing with me. I feel like something didn't translate from the page on that uh, one. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I've always been meaning to go and listen to the commentary. I, don't, I can't remember who does the commentary on that. I don't think it's Capaldi. I think it might be... Um, Moffat and possibly Rishi Smith. I can't remember, but yeah. Yeah, I think it out. Uh, Moffat's definitely on it. I can't remember. There's two other people on it. I can't remember who they are, but it's definitely I can just Moffitt. imagine your face at the end as well. But you got to the end of it and thought, uh, <laughs> why did I bother? With- <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was one of those, well, that's the second time. I'm not going to get that time back mm. after watching that. But yeah, it wasn't, don't get me wrong, you know, being quarantined and having, you know, I say having, being quarantined and having the opportunity to sit down and watch Doctor Who is never a terrible thing. So I wasn't too bummed out. It was just my opinion just hasn't changed on the on the story stuff. That's all. Sometimes it is good, though, because as as we mentioned last week with the um, the Romans, uh, which I really enjoyed watching the other week. And you you said to me, but when we reviewed it, you I reviewed it quite low. And I was mm. thinking, yeah, I've never really enjoyed that story, but. If you're in the mood, I suppose, it's a bit like the Sunmakers, isn't it? I very rarely watch that, the fourth Doctor story. And in my head, I thought it was a load of old rubbish <laughs> until we um, reviewed it. And I, did, I just must have been in the mood because I remember sort of thinking, actually, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so you never know, dear. It depends what mood you're in. But yeah, some things just never going to click with you, I think. And I, I think Sleetnam, although I've not watched Sleetnam for ages, I, I don't think that's one that I'm ever going to... It's never going to be in my top 100. <laughs> I think I'm going to say to, to my wife, if you ever see me reach for that story anymore, <laughs> you've got permission to give me a good slap. A good Tell slap. Me to put it down. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what, yeah, I've been, uh, other than that, mate, I've not really done much else, just catching up on some special feature stuff and mm. just very nicely just kicking back and watching a bunch of, of who. It's been good. I, I do wonder what's going to happen with the box sets because of um, obviously everything that's going on in the world. There was delays before mm. Corona kicked off. I think season 14 was delayed. Um, I just wonder if, when or if that, you know, what's because obviously everything's shutting down factories and workers and everything. So it does have such a knock on effect. Um, so, yeah, well, I don't know when will next when will we next have a a box set in our hand of new fresh one. I just don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure, mate. Hopefully it won't be too soon. I think season Hopefully 14, not too long, yeah. it looked to be in a fairly complete state the last we heard. Yes, it did. So, fingers crossed, but I, I can't yeah. remember what the delay was with it, but yeah, it was pretty much, it was almost there, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we've been up to over the past week. Before we get on with news and merch and our review, Remember to subscribe to our show. Uh, head over to Big Blue Box Podcast at Code UK. You can listen to all the shows over there, plus read all of our cool articles from our writing team. Uh, or do a search in whatever podcast app you listen to podcasts on. Just do a search for the Big Blue Box Podcast. You'll find us on there. Give us a sub so you don't miss a show when that lands every Friday. And we're on the socials too. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All the links are on the website. Or again, just do a search for us. You'll find us on there. We chat Doctor Who and Waffle. Plenty of rubbish throughout the week, so it'd be good to have you <laughs> join in with all that stuff. <laughs> and on that note of waffle, let's uh, let's land the news. Uh, land the news. Let's land the TARDIS and do some news, shall we? <laughs>
sad news to start the new segment oh. off with. I hate doing new segments like this, but mm. uh, actor David Collings has left us. Unfortunately, he was um, he passed away recently at the age of eighty nine. Now you remember David Collings from a couple of hours from from, uh, and I say this with a smile on my face because uh, a lot of the time it's very depending on what sort of person you are, it's very difficult to look back uh, when somebody's just passed away with any kind of uh, feeling other than mourning or sadness. But I, I do have a big smile on my face when I think of David Collings because we very respectfully and with a big heart gave gave him such a bashing for his performance in, um, uh, what was it, the uh, was it the Robots of Death? I think Robots of Death, I think, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it was just what it was one of those performances where you could just tell a mile off that he he was just given it was just given so much um, sort of slack, if you like, to just go ahead and just ham up that performance as much as you like. And it's just so evident when you're watching that story um, that we it was kind of a, a one of those things where it was so, so remarkable to watch that we just had a combination of just complete fondness for it and also mm. just laugh out loud at some parts of the, of his acting. And now that's not a reflection on his acting career because you know, the other stuff is done is not quite as uh, dramatic as that, mm. you know, as, as had some great roles. He, he was in Doctor Who at various times, which I I'd forgotten about actually. So he was in Revenge of the Cybermen. I always forget he's in that. Yeah, yeah, he plays Voris, and I, I, like you, I always forget that he's in that one. Then he went on to star as uh, Pole in the Robots of Death, which is his most famous Doctor Who role. Which is what we, uh, when, when we reviewed the Robots of Death, Death, that was the one that we kept coming back to with a smile on our face. It was like it, it's that scene <laughs> particularly when he's going about robophobia when he cracks up. I think isn't it <laughs> yeah. the robophobia? Yeah, yeah. mind you, was, let's face it, they were all hamming it up in that, but it's a great story. But yeah, there's oh, yeah, a few yeah. bits that are, are fantastically hammed up in that one. Indeed, yeah. yeah. And then he went on to star as the title character Mordrin in the mm. fifth Doctor story, Mordrin Undead. So, and uh, yeah, so and other than that, he's gone on. Uh, sorry, he went on to do you know plenty of other roles. And, uh, um, one of the things that I do like him in, and I, I circle back to this all the time whenever I see actors that are in it, but I'm such a huge fan of classic sort of radio plays and radio dramas that he was, um, he was the character Legolas in the BBC radio drama of the Lord of the Rings. And he was actually really, really good as that. Oh, you love that Lord of the Rings. I remember you telling me. Yeah. Yes. And he was really good in that. And he's had like mm. other stuff and. He's been in Big Finish and whatnot. So uh, he's had a really long career, done some really great stuff. Uh, so, yes, we sadly say goodbye to um to David Collings, who passed away recently. But we do so with a smile uh, on our face at just, at just how remarkable some of his performances were for Doctor Who. So, yeah. He was. Uh, do you remember the good old days when we used to go to those conventions at the, um, I used to call it Paradise Towers, but that hotel in Slough? The tenth planet. Oh, the Copthorne Hotel. The Copthorne. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I called it Paradise Towers because it looked like it was all glass. <laughs> what it like a glass building. It did. Yeah. Um, do you remember those good old days? Yeah, yeah. I think that's where we first uh, got met, isn't it? It's our first uh, well, face to face. Yeah. Yeah. Great days. Um, well, he was at one. He was at an event. And I don't know if you were there. I can't remember, to be honest, because we went to a few. But um, it was one of those days, I think they'd got quite a few guests. So trying to get round to meet everybody was quite difficult. Um, 
And I remembered, I really wanted to meet him because I, I, like you said, it's with affection that we say that we, you know, find his performance quite funny, that story. But also, he, he, I love Warden Undead and I do think he's a good actor. And so I was rushing around and by the time I got around, I, he, he'd finished his signing and was on his way out. And I was like, oh, really wanted to get, I'd got like, you know, a Chief Commander Paul picture that I wanted to get signed. And, I was, and um, because we'd been a few times, I sort of knew the lady who run it and I said, oh, I was really looking forward to me and Dave. She said, oh, he's, he's lovely. He's just in the corridor. Um, he's just getting his coat on, but he won't mind. Go and go and get it signed. Anyway, she took me back and, and he was literally just putting his coat on about to leave. And um, he very kindly signed the, the picture for me. And, uh, you know, he, he was, he just seemed like a real gentleman. I, I probably spent about a couple of minutes with him, Max, just because obviously he was, he was trying to leave. So I didn't want to hold him up, but, uh, yeah, it was a really nice moment. And I got a picture with him in the, you know, holding the picture up and stuff. Um, yeah. And I just thought that was really nice of him to do because clearly he was like, you know, it was all over. He was about to leave. So yeah. So that's, that's a nice little memory I have of, of, um, David Collins. So it is with affection, like you said, even, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to think we were laughed at. It is with affection. I did, mm-hmm. did enjoy meeting him and he's, yeah, he plays some good parts. He's very unusual in Mordred Undead as well. That's an unusual part, isn't it? It was a bit, <laughs> And he has yeah. that funny, yeah. crispy thing mm. on top of his head, yeah. So to bring out a performance like that with that on your head, take some doing. So, you know. Indeedy. Kudos to that. So, yeah, yeah it was a 79. So rest in peace, David. Right, in other news, some great news. I'm following this with some absolutely fantastic news. So um, last weekend, uh, the Mothball, he only come <laughs> back to Twitter to do a special tweet along for a global rewatch of the Day of the Doctor. Now, I was working, so I missed all this. Um, I don't know, but did you get to be a part of this? Because I hear it was fantastic. I hear he, he was brilliant on Twitter, which doesn't surprise me because... Whatever you think of Moffat, he's he's so funny to in interviews and stuff. I just I love the man. He doesn't, you know, he speaks his mind. He's got a great sharp wit, and apparently he was giving loads of behind the scenes info on the story, and it, it just sounded brilliant. So, did you get to be a part of this? I did. Yes, I am. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was very very cool to to pop pop the the disc in and and hit play along with everyone else, and you got that oh. sense of global sort of watch along, and yeah, and uh, the Moff's tweets were, um, he tweeted a lot more as well than what I thought he was going to. He was quite, did he active. have a little glass of wine when uh, he was tweeting? Do you think? Of course. He normally has a, a couple, yeah, yeah. but it was great to have that sense of community as well, though. It, it felt very similar mm. to when I think it Twitch. was last year or year before. Yeah. Yeah. When Twitch were doing their streaming and you had the online chat and people were chatting away as you were watching it. So it was, uh, it was very, it was a very, feel good uh event if that makes sense it was a very good um experience and when it was done it was like yeah we should do more of these and then lo and behold we're on to this bit yeah yeah so this is i mean this is fantastic so following up from that the man himself rtd i believe is coming back to twitter because it's going to be a watch along of rose um so this will have happened the night before this podcast go out won't it so it's thursday the 26th of march is that right where are we yeah, so yeah, this sorry. will have probably already happened, um, but it's it's just such a, a fantastic thing, especially at this time when we're all locked inside. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how we'll, we'll probably talk about this next week on the podcast because I assume we'll both be um, following this one. I obviously am hoping to be part of this. So, yeah, and it's happening at 7 p.m. Uh, GMT, um, and it's the exactly 
it's the 15th, I can't say it, 15th anniversary, isn't it, since Rose Mm -hmm. to the day. So, yeah, that's going to be amazing. Um, I just can't, yeah, can't wait. I'm loving that people are doing things like this. It's really great, like you said, to be part of, um, you know, it brings out the good side of the Who community as well, doesn't it? Just like you said, it brings a lot of people together. And, yeah, I think it's much needed at this time. It's going to be great to have Russell on Twitter. Absolutely, yeah. And what a great thing to do at a time when everybody is on supposedly, you know, shut away in their homes and on lockdown. And we've had so much bad press as as a fandom over the past mm. couple of years. You know, we've we've always been labelled as, you know, the the crappy fans who would just, you know, destroy everything and every opinion and stuff. So it's lovely to be able to have some kind of positivity from the fandom where everybody comes together and everything's you know, there's no I didn't see any tweets last time of anyone, you know, losing their rag or, you know, tweeting anything untoward or anything like that. It was all pretty good. So uh, it's great that the world gets to see the nicer side of Doctor Who fandom because for the most part it is, and it is a a cool place. And uh, I think Russell's doing something else for this one as well. So I think on the Doctor Who website, you'll be able to see a little, a little prequel to Rose. Oh, I did get yeah. to see the Moffat one, which was hilarious, yeah. of like a Strax, Strax yeah. doll <laughs> talking to it. I mean, it was, and yeah. Dan Stark, he'd done the voice, obviously, didn't he? So that was a really fun little thing that they threw together for the intro to the Day of the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was cool. So obviously you guys would have seen it by the time the show goes out, but um, mm. at some point we'll get to see that on the on the official Doctor Who website, some point on Thursday. So that's going to be cool. So yeah, we'll... um. Uh, let us guys let us know what you guys think of this kind of thing because I imagine this is something that we could all do as content creators, our own thing. We could all do our own little watch alongs and all this stuff. So yeah, I think it's a great idea, mate. This is so cool. It is good. Actually, yeah. it just reminded me, actually, did you see literally just before we started recording that Jody had done a little online video um just to say, you know, um, just talking to fans, basically just saying, stay safe. And she was pretending to be hiding like in a wardrobe from Sasantara. And so it's a lovely little message, actually. Did you get to see that? Cause it was literally just before we started recording, I think. Yeah, I did. It was lovely. Yeah. And she's in costume and, and everything. Yeah, she's great. in costume. Yeah. yeah. Just lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's cool. So that, that, obviously that, this moment has passed. If you're listening to this, whenever mm. a bit timey-wimey, but that's going to be cool. And then the last bit of news along the similar sort of, theme to this kind of virtual thing is the guys over at phantom events they've obviously had to cancel some of their upcoming uh, in-person uh, little tiny cons or events so now they're going to do a a virtual one online which is going to be this saturday actually so saturday the 28th of march at 2 p.m uk time gmt in the afternoon they're going to host an event called the Time Space Visualizer, and that's going to be streamed online for free. There's no ticket payment or any kind of access payment. This is all free, and they're inviting all fans from around the world to join in. So they've said that the show must go on. Unfortunately, due to the social distancing measures advised by the government, we have had to postpone a couple of events. However, the moment has been prepared for. Mm. Nice touch. Uh, mm. It is important to stay together and socialize as a community. And this platform will allow us to come together and experience rarely seen new material interacting with each other through live hosted segments. So what they're going to do is they're going to do a bunch of uh, a mix of different things that will go out on the stream throughout the afternoon. So it's going to be a mixture of pre-recorded stuff and a mixture of live on the spot interviews and so on. 
And they've also got some specially uh, commissioned uh, and performed short stories, which are going to do on there as well, which is great. And they're going to dip into the archive as well and dig some some old footage out that you've not seen before. And then the guests that have so far been lined up to participate is Sophie Eldred, bon- Bonnie Langford, Nicola Bryant, Mark Strix and Katie Manning, Annette Badland, in Ian Hallard and Mark Gattis, with a few more still to be revealed. So that's a cool little lineup already. That's amazing. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Yes, and we will stick a link in the show notes. You just essentially head over to the Phantom Events website and uh, on Saturday around two o'clock and they would like you to use the hashtag uh, Timespace Visualizer or TSV uh, to comment on the event and so on. So this is another cool thing, dude, that you know the community is getting together to do this stuff virtually where you can't meet in person. So I think this will be a good one as well. Yeah, it does sound really good. Yeah, I love the idea behind it. So yeah, let's see more of these. Brilliant. Indeedy deedy. Yes. Right, it's going to do for news. And we don't have any merch this week, by the way. No, Dalek tats in quarantine. Like <laughs> us all, you know, the Daleks, they're not, you know, they're not immune to the coronavirus. So they've had to go on lockdown as well. He's actually loving it right now. He is. He's loving it. He doesn't have to make any tea. He doesn't have to go and get merch and bring it up the stairs <sighs> and all that jazz. So he's like like us, mate. He's he's not minding the uh the quarantine level. So No, he sat in the garden with a hat on. Yeah. <laughs> Just Cheeky. wheels himself out in the morning, plonks up, puts on his hat. And he's loving it. Plonks up. <laughs> right. On to a review, dude. What have we got? Indeed. Yeah, so back to classic who this week, a third doctor story. Inferno. Same time, same place, only a different dimension. Put your hands up. It's a parallel world, Liz. Terrible things are happening there. Unless you cooperate, you'll soon be in front of a firing squad. You have very little time left. My dear young lady, if that computer was functioning, it would warn us that we all have very little time left. Unless we do something very, very quickly indeed, there's going to be a disaster. As long as you people go on drilling, you're rushing into terrible danger. Who sent you here? Why did you come? I don't exist in your world. And you won't feel the bullets when we shoot you. You break through the ice crust now, your release forces you never dreamed could exist. We have a penetration zero. Yes, Inferno. I've, I've, I've so looked forward to doing this one with you, dude. I'll be honest with you. I was convinced we'd done it. <laughs> I said to you, <laughs> didn't I? I? I said, we've already reviewed Inferno, but yeah, I think we've just chatted about it maybe over time because I have a feeling this has been on our schedule for a while. I'm sure like for various reasons, this has been put back and jumped around our little spreadsheet and it's probably why I thought we'd already done it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Inferno was first broadcast back in May 1970 
It ran from the 9th, to the 20th, 9th of May to the 20th of June. It's a seven-parter. Mm. It was written by Don Horton, directed by Douglas Camfield, with some additional direction by Barry Letts. And it stars John Pertwee, obviously, and Caroline John as Liz Shaw, and then a fairly sizable support yeah. cast for this one. And the premise of the story is, uh, so Unit is providing security cover at this experimental drilling project, which has been set up so it can uh, drill down and penetrate through the Earth's crust and release this untapped source of energy, this kind of special gas stuff. But they find out that the drill head starts to leak this oily green stuff that transforms people into these kind of primeval creatures that crave heat and destruction. Uh, So the doctor is accidentally, while this is going on, the doctor's kind of helping the experiment out. He's... Uh, at the at the um uh, the, the the one of the main characters Stallman, uh, who hates the Doctor being around, but he kind yeah. of has to suck it up and just get on with it because he realizes that the Doctor's actually helped them a lot with certain things with computers and calculations and whatnot. But the Doctor's using this as a kind of side project. His main focus is using the nuclear energy that they're using. He's using some of that so he can run his experiments on the TARDIS because obviously at this point in the Doctor's timeline, he's been grounded on Earth. So he's using this experiment to get the TARDIS back up and running so he can do the off-ski again. But while he tries one of those, he accidentally gets sort of shoved sideways into a parallel universe where those guys have got the same characters, same people, but they're in slightly different, uh, you know, different lives, different things have happened to them. The world's a different place. And they're also slightly ahead with their experiment and everything's about to go beep. So uh, he has to try and save those guys while trying to get back to his original universe and uh, and try and save the day there as well. So Inferno, dude, what you got? Yeah, this is um, this has always been one of my favourite third Doctor stories. Um, amazingly, though, I haven't watched it for a while. I think just because it is a seven-parter, it's not one, you know, when you look at your DVD shelf, you think, oh, which one shall I just pluck out to watch today to, you know, kill a bit of time? It's, um, it is a long story, but I, I think it's a brilliant story. It's um, considering it is seven parts. I think it somehow manages to sustain the whole suspense throughout the whole story. Like it really doesn't let up at all. There's no sort of bits in this where I think, you know, like a, some of Pertwee's, I think you sort of get to episode four or five and they really do slow down before it picks back up. But yeah, the the tension and everything just flows all the way through this story. And I think um, maybe possibly it's a one or maybe, yeah, maybe it's one episode too long, but I don't think it feels it, especially if you break it up a little bit and watch a couple of episodes a night. I think it's a belter um, watching it again over the last two nights. Um, my opinion just hasn't changed. I think it's brilliant. The cast are fantastic. Pertwee just is absolutely hitting it every nail he's, he's just absolutely on fire in this story he's brilliant um and I, yeah I, I i really do consider this to be an absolute classic it is up there when people ask me you know what are my favorite stories it's it's right up there um i think it's it's an absolute classic yeah i love it is really is i mean everything about it the whole parallel universe as well just helps to carry the seven episodes i think um yeah just a classic mate do you like it Tell me you like it. Otherwise, in fact, uh, your stuff, just notice the beard's growing. You're starting to look a little bit, um, can never say it right, prim, prim, primnoid, prim, primnords, primords. <laughs> Prime, primeval. 
primordial. Yeah, you're starting to primitive. look a little bit like that. I must keep away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you must like this one, surely. Do I like this one? You love it. Do I like this one? Yeah, I freaking love this one, dude. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So in my opinion, this this is, uh, when you talk about classic Who and all the rest of it, this really is like the, uh, just, the just the essence of, of Who. It's just, of classic Who anyway, this is what it's all about. Yes. So this has got every kind of ingredient, if you like, that makes up a great classic Who story. So it's got the really bad production value. And this is one of the things that I think is going to trump the guys who are working on the Blu-ray sets when they come to these earlier stories, because yeah, the you can tell that they've used the cheapest cameras, the cheapest lenses, the cheapest film stock, or the TV uh, TV tapes, whatever they used back then. You can tell because the, some of the telltale signs are like whenever there's a light on the screen and the camera's in motion or something's in motion, it leaves this like phosphor trail across the screen. Um, and also when there's any kind of loud audio, like when someone's firing a gun, you get these, all the lines, the lines that sort of wave up and down the screen where it's interfering with the camera and stuff. So, and also just the image quality as well. It's a little bit soft. It doesn't look that sharp and in focus. It's a bit sort of fuzzy in places and a little bit soft. So having said that, um, sorry, go on. No, it's just, I can, I can imagine there'll be a few people screaming at you. So I just wanted to just interject because I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think they are going to struggle to, to remaster this when it comes to Blu-rays. Cause the one I watched was the special edition when they'd remastered the remastered and yeah, the colors still bleed all over the place. And, uh, you know, there's like a sort of shadow effect to a lot of the pictures, but the reason I interjected, sorry to interrupt you was, um, I think it's more down to the fact that this was one that got junked. And I think when they tried to find the episode, I think they had really bad source material. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I just have a feeling that a lot of it is down to that. So I just wanted, because I could imagine people say, oh, you know, it was because I think, yeah, I have a feeling some of these episodes were when the BBC went to try and reclaw back in all the episodes they jumped. I have a feeling that um, this was one that they had to find various sources to piece it back together. Um, so that might be why the pitch is so bad in places. Well, it's not bad, but you, like you said, it's noticeable in its quality um, as well. I think I'm right in saying that anyway. I just wanted to inject in case uh, the listeners were screaming. Yeah, so yeah, videotapes, yeah, they were wiped. So I've got it on Wikipedia. The um, original PAL videotapes were wiped for reuse in the 70s. So they retained black and white film recordings made overseas and uh, basically recolored a lot of stuff and mishmashed them together and and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> imagine all the effort they've had to go to. Why don't they just keep them? Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it anyway, is yeah, I just wanted to say that. I think that's why a lot of the time the picture looks a little bit worse for wear is it because of the source material that they have mm-hmm. for this story. Such a shame as well because um, you look at Spearhead from Space, which is all filmed on film, and how amazing that looked on Blu-ray. Um, imagine if they still had the original tapes for this story imagine how much better it would look but yes anyway at least we have it that's the main thing we do have it <laughs> but uh, i know what you mean the picture does does um vary in quality it does yeah and i think that um it's not just inferno though so a lot of pertwee's earlier stuff is all plagued by some very ropey looking um image quality and so on 
Yes, yep, I know. Yeah, I think is it Invasion of the Dinosaurs that went? It's it's quite bad in places, isn't it? In terms of picture and yeah. So yeah. so I think even before you take into account any sort of wiped or scrap tapes that they've then had to go and remaster to remaster or you know piece together, <laughs> I think it was you know as television was moving through that phase from black and white to color, uh, I just think there was a bit of an equipment thing going on, especially yeah. at the BBC, and just some of it just looks even if like you get past the, the 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 visual fidelity type of things just some of the shots were not quite in focus either some of the things were like uh um just various shots as i was watching each, each episode you could tell that it didn't happen so much on location funnily enough so the location shots there was no depth of field going on anyway they would just look fairly static and you know mm. there wasn't much going on but a lot of the studio stuff there were scenes where the actors' faces were not quite in focus and bits like that. So, yeah, I think the um, when they come to do another restore or remaster, whatever it is for the Blu-rays, be interesting to see what they do with that. But mm. um, I think also I think we were spoiled as well. So because Terror of the Autons was filmed on on film stock, and it just looks so beautiful. Even anyone that's picked up the Blu-ray for um for Terror of the Autons. Um, because film stock holds no, spearhead a spearhead from space. Mate. Oh, sorry. Spearhead from space. I do apologize. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that was filmed on film that you've got a lot more bandwidth and resolution there. So when you remaster it, it just looks so good in HD. So I think we were spoiled with that. So when you go from that to the, the rest of the, of these other series for Pertwee, I don't know. It's just a bit, yeah, a bit of a shame, but funny enough, Terror of the Autons is what another one actually that suffers really badly from that. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, like you said, ghosting, uh, on the picture in Terror of the Autons, another one they're going to really struggle with when they come to sets. It's a shame, isn't it? Because you get great stories like this. And um, in my head, and I'm sure that you're the same, you're thinking, oh, I can't wait for this season to come out on Blu-ray. Like such a good season as well, but it was first season. And and then, yeah, then you sort of think, oh, but how are they going to, you know, how can they make this any better? Than, you know, I'm sure they, technology has moved on, so they will be able to do things with it. Um, but it's still yeah, still perfectly watchable. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen this and they're thinking, oh, this sounds horrific, it, it's not. It's just like you said, when you compare it to other stories, you do notice things. Um, I think I think Terry Autos might be even worse, actually. I seem to remember Colours uh, bleed all over the place in that story. <laughs> like the master moves and his body moves about half a second behind him doesn't he in certain shots in that story but yeah but yeah so what i was going to go on to say is although that stuff is happening that adds to the ingredient of great classic doctor who though Mm. so when you've got the the cheap sets and the bad effects and the um not so great picture quality and stuff that just what makes it such a joy to watch it's it's I don't know. It's just something about that. So when they do come to do the the remaster for the Blu-ray, I hope they don't fiddle with it too much. I hope they don't. I hope they don't try and fix what doesn't really need fixing in terms of the 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 style of this old classic who, this old TV of its time and stuff like that. But it, it does feel like classic. It feels very Quatermass to me. It feels a really yeah. like you said, like an absolute classic production like you said even with all the stuff you you, you know just mentioned it it um like the the direction for douglas camfield i think is fantastic in his story I, I i think he was one of the best doctor who directors and am i right i can never remember is it him that didn't like dudley simpson there's a there's one director uh, that would never use dudley to do the music um so i'm wondering if it was douglas camfield because he was such a good director um did he direct 
Terra the Zygons because that would be the that would be the one to confirm that. But yes, I think he did. So yeah, he would never use Dudley um, to do the music. I don't know why they didn't like each other or why he didn't like Dudley's music. Um, but one strangely enough, I don't know about you, but I thought the music was so sparse in this. I actually really liked it because sometimes in Pertwee stories, the music can often be quite distracting, can't it? Sometimes it's like see the Sea Devils, brilliant story, but the music half the time, it sounds like a sound effect. Um, so I thought in this, the minimalist style of music for me really worked. It, it built the te- tension quite well, I thought, especially in scenes like when the doctor's in the cell, you know, and the old guy's turning, <laughs> going a bit, you know, he's under that blanket, but he's going to burst out at any minute. I thought the tension in that was brilliant. So, but yeah, what, just to wonder what you thought of the music in this one. It is quite sparse. It is quite different to a lot of the stuff in Pertwee's era that's quite in your face, shall we say. Yeah, I think... As long as it, as long as the story benefits from that, which this clearly does, then it's all good. So there, there's mm. a few, there's a few stories, aren't there, littered throughout Classic Who, where they've just used stock music. They haven't gone with a, with a yeah. Composer. I think this was stock music. I it think. was, yeah. yeah, yeah. And sometimes it works really well. Sometimes that's all you need. Like if you're trying to have a story that's very much a, uh, like this one, which is definitely. I know there's a lot going on in terms of the overall story of trying to drill down to the earth and all that sort of stuff. But essentially this is a very good character uh, piece, a very good character performance because you've got John Pertwee, who's playing the doctor across multiple universes. And then you've got Mm. all these characters that play like, you know, different versions of themselves. And it's more about that kind of human, that kind of control freak yeah sort of mentality with Stallman and not wanting to listen to anybody and you've got all these other people that are trying to make him see the mm-hmm. you know the wood from the trees and stuff but he's just lost in this kind of obsessive sort of thing so and then you've got the doctor who's comes across as like very much like yes you know I'm here for the good cause you know I'm here to help you guys but really in the back of his mind and you can see it in his face when he's back in this in the doctor's hut as they call it um, yeah you can tell in his mind that he's just so desperate to get the TARDIS working again. He's fed up with being stuck on earth and stuff. And, you know, well, what do you think do... about the TARDIS being? <laughs> so, so this is a weird thing that I often forget happens, um, in the Pertwee era. It, I suppose it doesn't happen in many stories, but so they, they basically take the console out of the TARDIS. So we don't see the exterior of the TARDIS. We just see the, the doctor's sort of got the console in a shed that he's working from. And it's, um, it's weird because I never used to like that idea. I used to think it was a bit stupid. I was like, why would the doctor take the console? But weirdly, I've grown to quite like it that the doctor's just sort of tinkering around. He's got the console out. He's trying to get he's trying to get it working. He's trying to escape Earth. And it actually, I think, is a really cool idea. Um, but I, I never used to like it. I suppose because I like the TARDIS interior. I used to sort of find it odd that the console was just plonked in a shed. But I think it's really interesting, actually. I really like it now. Yeah, I think it's an it's uh it's odd. <laughs> it's an odd concept, but that's what makes yeah. it good though. That's what makes it quite quirky. And the so TARDIS much. console looks absolutely battered. <laughs> um like they've they've not taken care of it at all of this. It's all broken in in the um time, you know, the time wrote in the middle is all smashed. Yeah, no one's yeah. bothered to just sellotape it back up because they're going to be shooting in an hour's time. It's like there's no sort of care or it's probably a time thing probably, but it is absolutely when he tries to take off and you see the rotor going up and down, it's, it's all broken and smashed and yeah, it looks battered. A, yeah. There's a bit as well when the doctor's underneath and he's yeah. got his screwdriver out and he's repairing something 
then you can see that all they've they've not made any effort to cover up the the steel frame that they've welded together to mount the the top part of the console <laughs> on. Right, yeah. And then underneath like the edges of the console you, there's all these scuff marks all over it and it just looks really beaten up and unclean. Absolutely and, battered. But maybe that to look they were going through maybe mm. well, I kind of love it. Yeah. yeah it, I mean if he had to sort of hoy the thing in the back of a shed and that's the only thing that he's got to work with that maybe that's what they were going for they wanted to have that kind of beat up a little bit mm. i'm working in a shed you know this is all i've got sort of thing but i like it though i like the fact that um and it's really funny as well like the first time you know when he does the little experiment and he only sort of uh he disappears for about 10 seconds and he comes back again the yeah. way that they shot that was really funny because he's he he, he flicks a switch or he's holding onto the controls on the TARDIS and he just stares. He just, <laughs> it's like it's, a little, it's like a naughty schoolboy in that scene. That's what I love. And he's like, all right, goodbye. I'm yeah. off. I really thinks he's running away and he doesn't get very far. And it's a great scene, isn't it? Yeah. He just like stares the end at scene is brilliant yeah. when he ends up in the bin. I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's just brilliant though. And then when it comes back, he's just staring at her in the same place. Cause they've used like the same shot basically yeah. to bring him back into, into the scene and stuff. And, uh, yeah, so he's a bit of a cheeky chappy in this one. He's a bit of a. He's a he bit feels of a, slightly different, doesn't he? So I can't put my finger on it, but I, I absolutely love the way he plays the Doctor in his. Well, I, lo- I love the third Doctor anyway, but he d- he does seem slightly different in first series. Hmm. He's more action man, sort of. He's playing it a bit s- more serious somehow, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. um, you know, but yeah, it, it, like you said, there's still lovely moments like that where he's playing the sort of comedic side of the, the role <laughs> and there was that great scene as well where we get to see his his wurzel face where you know when he's he, the the he's getting dragged sideways through the through time and there's that really that scene that feels like it goes on forever where it's like stretching his face and you know he's in the oh, time yeah, vortex that's and stuff mad isn't it yeah and his face he does those a couple of great wurzel gummage faces as he's going through that kind of time vortexy sort of thing um and it's just it's great to see uh it's great to see those funny faces because he's trying to play it serious he's trying to play like you know the guy that's you know having his every atom of his body is basically being stretched and ripped apart and it's meant to be a serious thing where he's in a lot of pain but because of anyone that's watched Wurzel Gummidge will know those faces just look hilarious as he's yeah as he's doing <laughs> You'd love to see the outtake to him, just like, you know, the clean shots of him just doing that. Yeah, he kind of does this weird, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of... The eyes, isn't it? It's all in the eyes. <laughs> I think I think the um, parallel universe works brilliantly, though. I really oh, I think that, that works yeah. well. Yeah. Like, the, the cast, the way they switch, the sort of subtleties between their, their two characters. But Although the Briggs a bit more extreme, isn't he? The Briggs very angry in the um, alternative universe. And I, I just, yeah, I really think it works incredibly well. Um, it carries the story along really nicely, doesn't it? But I love the, I love the brig with the, the eye patch brig. I think he oh, looks he's like brilliant. he's l- yeah. absolutely having the time of his life being able to shout around like that. Yeah. Especially yeah. at Benton guy he lays into Benton, something rotten, doesn't he? he really tears into Benton at one point. Um, Use your initiative, but, man. Yes. Don't Carry you come here, you in here to... without him. Or... <laughs> yeah, I, they just look like they really enjoy doing that. It really comes across on screen, I think. Yeah. In a couple of interviews, Caroline John and Nick Courtney both did say that they had, they loved playing like their 
quote unquote baddie versions of themselves. They both said oh, they, yeah. they love doing that. And it, all of them, um, there is one thing um, I was going to say, this is not much of a criticism as such, but sometimes the, the, the actors get very shouty in a, a lot of these episodes. There's a lot of background noise as well, isn't there? So they struggle yeah. to be heard, I think, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy called Greg Sutton, played by Derek Newark. He's the guy that has a bit of a thing for Petra. Sutton! Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's, he's yelling at the top of his lungs at a, quite often throughout the thing. And obviously, Stallman, he's very stern. And, you know, he, he gives it as well. But Nick Courtney, when he's playing the old, you know, the... Uh, what do they call him in that one? It's not, it's, uh, it's not Brigadier, is it? It's, um, no, cause he corrects, uh, corrects the doctor, doesn't it? It's not Brigadier. It's, um, Brigade leader. That's it. Brigade leader. Yeah. yeah. Well, when he's playing yeah. Brigade leader, he's properly going for it. Even right up to the last bit where he's about to shoot the doctor in the shed. Oh yeah. Even then he's yelling at, it's like, there were a couple of points where I thought, crikey, you lot, of, <laughs> have you been directed to just shout at the top of your voice? It's, um, it's They're a, really going for it. They really are. <laughs> but go back to your point about having this set across parallel universes. It's such a brilliant thing. And I really love the old, um, there's a bit when we transition between universes, there's this kind of nice bubble wrappy. Yeah. Camera yeah. yeah. And it reminds me of the old days in TV where when you wanted to get from one scene to another, it's a bit like the old Batman series. Like, mm. like the I was watching that newspaper. last night, funny enough. <laughs> uh, it's got that kind of feel to it, which is another thing that aids in that just beautiful classic TV thing where it's not just a simple cut where we go from one to the other. They really wanted to make you aware that we were traveling now from one universe to the other, even though you could not mistake <laughs> where you were based on the characters and everything. Um, uh, and talking it of looks characters, like a disco ball, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And talking of characters in each universe, it makes sense to me now. Cause I remember when I first watched this a long time ago and I first saw the character Stallman, I thought his goatee looks like it's been glued on <laughs> when I first saw him. And then when we go to the other universe, he obviously is clean shaven. He doesn't have any facial hair. And I thought, ah, that I get it now. I, that explains it because, uh, uh, in the parallel universe where everyone spoilers, by the way, if anyone's not seen this story, spoilers ahead, just to let you know, uh, in the other universe, the one where everyone's about to die. <laughs> um, I thought to myself, right, what they've done is they've just whipped the fake goatee off for those bits. And then when we're back in the original universe, they've glued his goatee back on. And I thought, oh, okay, cause it just, it just jumped out at me immediately. Yep. Like that looks like it's stuck on. It doesn't look like a, a, a naturally grown uh, thing. So, yeah. Um, uh, and, and then, yeah, so the, the multiple universe, the, the parallel universe thing, it's such a simple way of um, trying to get that message across that even though they're all doomed in that other one, because, you know, they've not, they've not been able to stop Stallman from drilling down into the crust. Uh, the doctor's like, you can still do some good you know, you can help me and I can help all of these other people in this other universe. I can save their lives. Even if he doesn't outright say it, but even if you guys are about to die, mm. help me fix my TARDIS. I can get back and save all those guys. So it's such a great 
simple way of getting that message across because I, I love that yeah. quandary as well I yeah. love that quandary don't you like what would you do if you're in that position because we know I mean especially with what's going on in the real world at the moment and we're looking at how you know the human race is dealing with it it's bringing out the best and the worst in people what's going on in the real world at the moment so watching that last night I couldn't help but sort of reflect on that in a sort of parallel way as well because they're given that dilemma aren't they of um you know I can't save your world but I can save Mm-hmm. You you know your parallel world, and do they help him or do they just say, well, no, if we can't be saved, you know, because we know, don't we, that a lot of people would be like that. They'd be like, well, no, if we can't be saved, then nor can they. But then you know that there'd be people like Liz who would have the humanity side and say, no, you know, we've got to help this man. And, you know, he can't do anything for us, but we've got to help save him. So I love that because I think that reflects the real world quite a lot as well. Yeah. No, I, I agree, mate. Yeah, it's great. And I think... Because he says, doesn't he, something like, do you want to die fighting like animals? Which reminds <laughs> me of survival. Um, oh, which yeah. is absolutely true, isn't it? When they're, when they're having that old ruckus. Yeah, that's... The doctor uh, just can't believe what he's seeing. He's like, do you want to die fighting? Is this how you want to end your lives, fighting like animals? You know, it's great. It's such powerful stuff. Yeah, that's um when Sutton and brigade leader having a good old tear up good old yeah good old ruckus in the shed yeah. mm. uh, but you know that's um it would have been great you know for nick courtney to play that alter that sort of evil version because even right up to the end he's got like a plan in his head hasn't he? he's like well yep. when it comes to the crunch <laughs> i'm gonna threaten the doctor and he has no choice but to take us with him but and that's a great scene as well when the doctor's really firm and mm. this this is the thing right that goes back to some of the things that we were talking about with Jodie Whittaker and the way she's been written for series, uh, mainly for series 11, but 12 to a degree that, you know, the conundrum that she finds herself in at the end of Ascension of the Cybermen, mm, where yeah. she essentially has to sacrifice herself. Sorry, yeah. the time's children. She has to sacrifice herself. Uh, but there's always that level of unsurety. There's always that level of, you know, is she, is she, a hundred percent committed to this because she doesn't seem like it. She, you know, it's, and then it all falls to pieces. Anyway, there's a scene in this <laughs> one where the doctor's completely a hundred percent adamant and you know, he's not going to budge. He's like, I can't take you with me. It would, you know, it'd be a, a paradox, you know, it would rip the universe apart. And then the, uh, the, brig- the brigade leader threatens him again. He's holding him at gunpoint and he's like, I'm telling you, I'm not taking you with me. So you're going to have to shoot me. And then yeah. someone says, Oh, the gun's not loaded. And then he fires it. So he is serious. He was about to shoot him, but the doctor just stands firm and he's like, yeah. no, I'm not taking you with me. And that's some of the things that we said, we'd love to see Jodie have in her, in her situations at mm. certain points where she was completely adamant and stern that this is the crack and this is what's happening. But I digress, it, you know, but um, no, I know what you're saying. I mean, that's yeah. just, yeah, you really feel that Pertwee is, he means what he says. He's, you know, he's not taking them. You, you'll shoot him on the spot. He, they are not going with him. Uh, and that's the end of it. So yeah, yeah, you do feel like that. Yeah. Um, even scene, Benton's mate. good in the parallel world. I mean, Benton, I mean, <laughs> fair play to John Levine. Cause you know, he said this himself, not the best actor, but he, you know, he get he, he does, he does well in the part, but, you really feel the difference between his two versions of Benton. Like, especially when we go from the, uh, you know, the parallel world back to sort of our world, you know, Benton's very soft and he's, you know, he's quite, although he's military, he's quite sort of soft. 
in the parallel world, he's really, you know, he does up the ante a bit. He's quite savage, especially when he's sort of interrogating the doctor and stuff. So I have to sort of um, give uh, John Levine bonus points for that, really, because I think he does a really good job of, like, being very stern and, you know, you can tell, he, again, he would shoot someone if he needed to. In fact, he's really up for shooting the doctor a few times in this, <laughs> and he's quite up for that. So I think he really... Um, changes in the parallel world as well for the you know in terms of his performance is really good i think yeah and he gets a bit of screen time as well oh mm, he does. In this one. yeah no, he he's, does. All, he's all right actually in this one it's um uh and that's one of the interesting things about when you have this parallel universe thing which goes back you know to what i was saying that it's such a simple thing to do all you're doing is creating a mirror image of of what you've got now but you're just tweaking mm. certain things to make it appear like you know, you're highlighting the differences essentially. And that's why they, I think that's why they went quite heavy with the costume changes as well. Yeah. You know, cause they want to highlight completely, even like if you went, if you were, cause back in the day when this was going out on TV, we had no sky plus, we had nothing like that. If you, if you were, you know, dying to get home to watch Dr. Who and you were stuck in traffic and you walk through the door and like part five and you were like, you know, 10 minutes late, with your cup of tea and you walked in and you saw Nick Courtney playing the brigadier, but he wasn't quite the brigadier. You'd be a bit confused. Mm. So the fact that they've put everyone in different costumes and different hair and different, you know, every, you know, everything's different. It's a really good way. So simple, uh, a really good way of storytelling. So that's one of the reasons why I love this story so much mm. because not only do you have the doctor in, and that's another thing with Pertwee's performance when he's in the parallel universe, he's trying so hard to make everybody see, like, like I'm not BSing you. I'm mm. telling you, I've come from this place and nobody believes him. And he, this goes on for like two episodes where he's like, look, what do I have to do? So he's acting that so well, you share his frustration. You just want to sort of reach into the screen and like slap him around the face. Like mm. he's telling you the truth. He's trying <laughs> to help you and stuff. So Pert- Pertwee is fantastic in this. And I'll tell you another yeah. thing I noticed that I loved as well, because in a lot of Pertwee's stories, he looks sort of immaculate throughout, doesn't he? Like every scene, he just looks, his shirt's all ruffled and he just looks the part. In this one, um, he really gets put through the ringer and it's quite unusual, I think. I mean, I don't know, maybe I just noticed it more in the story, but it's quite nice to see the Doctor getting, you know, he looks absolutely worn down, Um by the, the, you know, the second sort of part where he's in the alternative universe, his shirt's all bedraggled, his little cravat things all screwed up and looking rough. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not often we see the third doctor looking so battered like that. You know, he normally looks pretty um, flamboyant throughout the whole story normally, I think. I don't know, I'm going to sort of, as more, more we watch, but we maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it was nice to see the doctor looking a bit sort of um it was more realistic you know he was properly looked like he was being tortured in those scenes he looked absolutely exhausted and and his costume reflected that and i just thought it was nice um but i did that uh, did notice that in the very last 10 minutes so he goes from that to being all oh we've got like five minutes to save the earth and he's all costumes all ripped and t- you know he looked like he's been dragged for a hedge but then he's waltzes in in those last 10 minutes and he's suddenly found time to <laughs> smarten himself up but only in those last 10 minutes does he look immaculate again um but i can forgive that because he's just waltzing in to save the day but but yeah do you, do you know what i mean about that though it's nice to see yeah. the doctor looking at the third doctor looking a bit you know like he's 
yeah, been put through it a bit, really. It just added to the realism, I think, you know, rather than him just looking so immaculate all the time. You know, mm. the old cravat took a right old battering, <laughs> didn't it, at one point? Yeah. Like think a sort of really... piece of string at one point. It was all shriveled up and, yeah. But <laughs> back really to its cool, flowing though. best by the end. That's really cool, though, isn't it? And it's um, it, it highlights the quality of the production on certain stories. Because nine times out of ten, they can't really consider every minute detail back in the day. They had like a very finite amount of time to get scenes done. Mm-hmm. If they weren't done, everyone was in big trouble because you had, we all know that back in the days of the BBC, it was like, right, if you're not done, we're turning the lights off, we're going home. Yes, right, so, yeah, lights are off, done. Yeah, so they couldn't afford to sort of stop all the time and pay attention to all those minute little details. So the fact that they've considered that, so when he's gone through certain scenes or he's had a long running scene or he's had a fight scene, mm-hmm. he then looks like he's been in a fight scene or he's done something, you know, and it's, cravats on the wonk and yeah and all that stuff so it's cool it really is cool and then but i like the fact that he waltzes in you know he's back in the game at the at the end he's sort of that's right the doctor's back yeah (laughs) he's like right this is the yeah i know what you mean so while we're still in the alternative universe i'll just tell you my favorite little story about inferno um something that happened to me years ago i'll keep it short um so i used to work in a little independent record shop and uh, there was this lovely old chap that used to come in all the time but um he did like to chat so he knew that if you ended up serving him uh, you were going to be at the counter for a while because he had a lot of stories to tell and the two guys i worked with who, who weren't dot two fans they were like football fanatics they used to wind me up all the time they'd like g me up and say like <laughs> he, he he invented the daleks that boy that that man do you know that he invented the daleks i'm like no he didn't <laughs> no terry nation invented the daleks and ray kuzak decided them. so don't you know i used to think they would like winding me up because they used to do stuff like that all the time because they knew i was a dot two fan anyway um years later i never took him seriously and i never the guy never spoke to me about doctor who he used to tell me stories about everything but but it was years later when i was watching inferno that I saw his picture on the back. You know, when they go to the parallel universe, there's a picture of a man, a black and white picture of the man with a little moustache. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. do you remember? He's sort of on the wall. It's a bit of a sort of 1984 type picture, and it's on the wall in the parallel universe. You see him a couple of times, and I was like, oh, no, it's that man that used to come in the shop. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they, seriously, they were telling me the truth all that time, and I just didn't take them seriously. And it turns out that, in a way, he did sort of make the Daleks because he was um, his name was Jack Kine, and he used to work for the visual effects department of Doctor Who. Oh, wow. um, so he was, you know, involved in Doctor Who. And I sort of think, oh, if I could go back in time, I'd chat to him all day long about oh, wow, Doctor dude. Who. But but because my colleagues had sort of wound me up about all sorts of things, you know, back then to do with Doctor Who, I just didn't take him seriously at all. Um, and as I said, he I don't think he mentioned Doctor Who to me. I remember him telling me about lots of other stuff. But yeah, I know. I just, it was the shock when I very first, you know, watched Inferno. Because if you think about it, I'm going back a long time now, way before this came out um, on DVD or whatever. And yeah, I just couldn't believe it when I finally saw his face on that wall. I was like, it was him all the time. It was him all yeah. along. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely old chap as well. You know, it's just one of those sort of customers you'd see him come in and be like, right, grab a seat, we're going to be here a while. And, you know, yeah, lovely <laughs> man. <laughs> but yeah, never spoke to him about Doctor Who, which is a, as if I had a real TARDIS, I'd go back and I'd give him all the time in the world. Do you know what I mean? I'd just sit yeah. there and say, now, now tell me about the Daleks, Jack. How did <laughs> they come about? And I know he would have been, oh, yes, now, right, the Daleks. You know what I mean? He'd go off and we'd be there for hours. But And yeah. then, yeah, and then you'd be the one who'd think, oh, Christ, here we go. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just can't believe it this day cannot believe that um i served him so many times and just didn't <laughs> didn't realize or, or didn't sort of um 
ask him about it. Yeah, crazy. But yeah, there he is, immortalised on the wall. And apparently he was a bit of a legend at the BBC. It says that on the production notes of the DVD. It was a, a legendary figure in the, um, let me get it right, BBC visual effects department, I think it was. He was the head of it or something. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but I can imagine, like, he was that type of character. I can imagine he was sort of, um, you know, somebody that people would, you know, consider a bit of a, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit of a, of a uh, you know, like, oh, here a... comes Jack sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those type guys, yeah. Oh, that's cool, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah, so it is nice. Yeah, and I think I just every time I see his picture on screen, I just think of that. It takes me straight back to being behind the counter in that shop. But, um yeah. Anyway, I'm glad I met him. Just wish I'd known at the time who he was. <laughs> <laughs> the good but old yeah. days, eh? Yeah, the good old days. Yeah, Jack Kine. Uh, while you've been telling that story, I uh, just mm. picked up a very quick note. We mentioned a little while ago that the a lot of the music was stock music. But yeah. It turns out that uh, the stock music was actually composed by Delia Derbyshire. Was it? Oh, yeah. right. So apparently this is the closest that she's came to providing the score for any of the episodes essentially i didn't know that yeah so it was all done by uh by delia which is very cool brilliant yeah i guess because it's very eerie mm. there's it's like the sounds and stuff they have going on all the way through the story isn't it it's quite eerie soundtrack so yeah. that makes sense yeah. yeah i love that that little little nugget of uh of trivia that's just so cool that delia's kind of you know still yeah at that point anyway providing that stuff to be used in the show that's very cool yeah, definitely. Right. We were talking about uh, the whole parallel universe thing and all that stuff, which is all great. Let's talk about the actual, the the crux of the story. What did you think? Because as so often the case with Classic Who, you mm. do get these multiple threads that run through each story. Um, what did you think to, because the in my opinion anyway, there are two main threads. You've got the Doctor trying to repair the TARDIS. Yeah. Which we've spoken about. But what did you think to the whole thing about the earth's crust and this kind of green goo that turns people into these almost werewolf looking uh, characters. I think they were, they're credited as what primords, I think they're called primords, in, the, tar- it, yeah. in the credits and stuff. Mm. Um, what did you think to that part of it? Because when I very first watched Inferno, I thought to myself, is this a werewolf story? Is this the, uh, like an mm. old universal classic monster kind of story? But then as you watch through it, it kind of alludes to the fact that, no, this is sort of turning people back to not necessarily cavemen, but like sort of, you know, primordial sort of beings, I suppose. But they do look very werewolfy. It reminds me like yeah. there's a couple of scenes where you see, especially um, the scene where Benton's being changed, being turned into one of these things. And it's almost a bit like like years later when Michael Jackson did the thriller video and it shows mm. the whole, or the werewolf <laughs> yeah. in London, that whole thing. Yeah, so what, it, did yeah. you, what do you think to that part of the story then? I love it. I think it's a really great idea, actually. It just um, because you just, you know, you, you're sort of waiting for him to change a bit. Like so, that's that scene when the the guy's under the bed sheet in the parallel universe. You sort of know he's there. You're just sort of waiting for him to spring out, and when he does, it's it's quite terrifying, actually. And I I, I think the makeup, although some would say is a bit dated, I think it looks quite good, especially with the weird sound effect. I I really find them quite creepy. Um, I genuinely think it, they, they're quite scary because, <laughs> uh, yeah. and then we shoot to the locations and put was on top of the roof with them and stuff. And I think, I think they use really well. Cause like you said there, you've got that threat and then you've got the, you know, the threat of the thing blowing up. So you've got two things kind of, 
coincided into a great cliffhanger. Um, I, I think it builds up brilliantly. You've got that tension of when's it going to blow up and when are they going to change? I, I think it works really, really well. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I wonder what, what do you think of the look of them though? Because are they the sort of thing that you find, do you find them scary like me or do you look at them like perhaps some people now would look at them and think, oh dear, you know, they look a bit silly or what do you uh, think of the actual design and the look of them? Well, for me, I found the the midpoint of their transformation scarier than their final look and feel. Yeah. <laughs> so the final look and feel, like I said, they do have that old classic hammer horror style werewolfy mm. look about them, which is not terrible. But I found the bit before that when they just had the green skin and they yes. were more zombie-like and they attacked people, I found that bit more scary. But No, I, I agree with you. That's that's yeah. the, yeah, you're absolutely right there. The, the transition stage is by far the scariest because they just look... Um, like you said, almost zombie-ish, don't they? Yeah. Mm. But I found the audio to be quite creepy, though. Like this kind of growling, uh, mm. snarling kind of sound. That was quite creepy, though. It's quite distorted, isn't it? Yeah, it's really creepy. Yeah, and the bit where Stallman's trapped in the in the drilling room, I think it is, and he's trying to radio through to get them to open the heat shield doors. Mm. His voice mm. is normal at first, but then it starts to distort and crackle up. Yeah. That's quite and, creepy as well. And this thing of touching faces as well. It's such a simple but weird, creepy thing to do. You know, when they get the slime, but they just rub it down their face. It's like, what? <laughs> it's horrible. The only bit I found probably unintentionally funny was the bit where Benton transforms. <laughs> I don't know why. It just makes me laugh because John Levine's really going for it, but he's sort of maybe <laughs> taking it just up a notch too far. But that that bit made me laugh. We, didn't, we don't get to see... Um, uh, now, what's he called? the guy that's sort of on at the doctor all the way through who eventually turns in the last part. Um, is it, no, it's not Sutton, is it? Um, Stalin. Yeah. Yeah. So is it, you know, the guy that's always like, get this man out yeah, of here, Stalin. the professor, yeah. the professor Starman. Yeah. And so when he transforms, apparently they did film the transformation, but they had to cut it for time reasons. I thought, ah, oh, what a shame. Cause that would have been, I'd like to have seen him finally. Because you sort of see him fall to the floor, but then next time you see him, he's fully transformed. He's fully werewolf, whatever. Um, but yeah, they did apparently film the whole transition. I, I bet he was gutted as well, because I bet that took ages back in the day to do all that. You know, the right, keep your hands still. We'll just apply a bit more fur. You know, let's get these teeth in. So, I mean, I bet it took ages for them to film that and, and they just cut it. <laughs> yeah, that but, must have, yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's, um... But that would have been funny, funny to have seen. I'd like to have seen the professor finally, because he's such an annoying uh so and so is yeah you know the way he keeps on at the doctor is um yeah yeah and it's also um it, it's also when the when the bad guy start anything starts happening to him you kind of cheer mm. that a little bit as well like mm. when he gets his his ass kicked a little bit later on yeah um it's kind of a moment, isn't it? Because he's been on the Doctor's case all episode, all, all the story. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, which brings me on to another character he was on the case of as well. Uh, all the time is the um, uh, what's the actor's name? He went on to play uh, Jago in the yeah, in Christopher Talons. Benjamin. Christopher Benjamin, yeah, yeah, uh, a much slimmer looking Christopher Benjamin. Mm. Um, <laughs> he uh, he was on his case the entire story as well. Like every time something happened. Uh, uh, Sir Keith, as he's known in this story, he's like, well, we need to take this precaution. We need to do this and that. And Starman's like, just get out of my sight. You know, I'm fed up with all these advisors and, and all this stuff. That pompous Britishness. I'd actually forgotten Christopher Benjamin was in it. And I, I mean, I have seen this story quite a few times. I love it. Um, so it's a bit weird. I put it on last night and I was like, oh yes, of course, Christopher Benjamin's in this. Um, 
And it's great to see him playing, a, you know, a sort of different part. He's because in Talons, he's a bit of a sort of, you know, swashbuckler. You know, he's a bit of a whatever. But he's much more sort of posh gentleman like in this. So, it's, yeah, it's really nice to see him playing a different part. But I'd completely mm. forgotten he was in it, I'll be honest. Yeah, me too. And it always, I think I've seen Inferno about, I don't know, this is probably the seventh time I've watched it, I think, yeah. over the years. Every time I put it on, I have exactly the same reaction. As soon as he's on screen, I'm like, yeah. That's Christopher Benjamin. That's Jager. I'm, I'm, I've forgotten he was in this. It's a weird thing, isn't it? I think because he's not so larger than life and flamboyant and That's as right. he is in Talons, you kind of, although he is really good in this though. He is great in it. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. It's just because the character is, you know, so much more memorable in terms of the screen time in Talons. But, but yeah, no, he's, he is great in this. He, he really, I think, I genuinely think the whole cast are really good at this. There's nobody uh, really that I think lets it down at all i mean even you know no offense john levine even john levine is is, is absolutely firing on all cylinders in this i think mm-hmm. everybody just seems to grab the script and thought yeah yeah this is good stuff let's you know let's go with this um did you think the so there's at the start um and again i can't remember the character's name but there's a guy who's sort of bordering on the sort of sexism thing with the lady that's in it um oh, great her name uh, with yeah, um, Sutton Petra. and uh, what's the woman's name that's in it? Sheila Dunn Petra. Yeah, I think she might have been the director's wife, actually, Douglas Campbell's wife, I think. Um, but I, I again, I think they're two strong characters. So he sort of throws a few quips around, but she soon shuts him down, doesn't she? She's quite a strong female character, I think. Um, so again, I like that relationship because you sort of think as soon as he says a few of those remarks, you think, oh yeah, here we go. It's the sort of, you know, 60s, 70s um, sort of style of writing. But then it quickly turns. She quickly puts him in his place and she turns out to be a very sort of strong and intelligent character. And I thought that was good as well. Indeed, yeah. For the, for yeah. the time, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's a subject that keeps, seems to be popping up a Pe- lot. Petra, isn't it? The character yeah, name, yeah. Petra, Petra, yeah. And you're right, yeah. So, um uh sheila dunn it was uh douglas canfield's wife yeah um but yeah there's a, there's a great little scene where sutton's just like i'll have to borrow you in a little while and you know you can run some errands for me basically and make mm, some tea yeah. and stuff and she very yeah she very quickly is like i don't think so mate um yeah i think you'll find i think you'll find i'm executive assistant mm. so you'll be making my tea it's that kind of thing it's a it's a really great little um uh, and actually it's quite sweet actually because as the story progresses they have this conflict with the two of them where Sutton's very much trying to, he's on Sir Keith's side. He's very much trying to, uh, to like, look, this is a really dangerous thing. We need to be safe. We need to take precautions. And those scenes where Starman's like, increase the drill, you know, <laughs> velocity by 12% and all that lot. And he's like, are you crazy? We can't do that. So there's that conflict where Petra's like, well, I need to be an assistant because that's my job to Stallman, but at the same time I kind of see what you're saying and there's that conflict between the two of them and yeah. then in the end they sort of go off together and they live hopefully happily ever after and stuff so it's quite a sweet little love story I suppose that runs underneath it yeah it's, yeah, it's nice. good yeah and it's done really well I think I, I've got to admit out of all the actors I thought Sutton at the beginning I thought oh he's gonna because there's normally one there's normally one actor just you think oh he's yeah he's gone over the top or he, he's not very good or he's letting it down but and I thought when Sutton come on I thought oh he's gonna be the sort of shouty character and he's gonna yeah but actually he's really good I think by the sort of especially in the parallel universe when he's really sort of trying to save you know really trying to convince them that this is you know gonna blow um, I actually think he he's really good in it, son. 
Jason Vini. I agree. But he, he was the one. I don't know about you. I just thought when I start watching episode one, I think, oh, here he comes. He, you know, he sort of waltzes it all swagger and full of himself. And yeah, I thought he was going to be. But no, he's very good. Yeah, he was. Indeedy. Yeah. Who else was good in this then? Uh... Well, while we're talking about strong females, I think Liz Shaw is a great strong female companion as well intelligent she really gets stuck into the action she's again great in the alternative universe because they sort of tap into the sort of softer side of her alternative Liz Shaw character as well uh, that the Dr. Mad used to finally get to under the hard exterior that the alternative universe one but she's a I think Liz Shaw's a great companion she is yeah she's um she yeah she's got she's confident in the same way that someone like Ace is but she she puts that across in a different way so with someone like Ace, she's very in your face and, mm. you know, she, there's no mistaking that she's confident and all that stuff. But with with Liz, it's almost like she's quietly confident, like she doesn't need to be shouty and um, yes. sort of in I your face. Exactly you know what I mean? mean? Yeah. yeah. So that's great about her character. You're absolutely right. She's a very strong female companion and you can tell that she doesn't do... I don't know if there's any stories where she does do it, but not that I remember initially anyway, but she doesn't do the whole just running behind the doctor screaming thing. She's no, not, not that I yeah. can think of. Um, I, I think her and Pertwee have great chemistry. I I, I know, um, who's the producer? Is it Barry Letts? Who was it who wasn't? Uh, Terrence Dix, think- yeah. Terence Six, yeah, because I know oh, that Barry they Letts, felt sorry, that- yeah. Barry Letts was a producer of this particular one, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know they felt like the character of Liz was too equal to the Doctor and, you know, having she sort of knew all the answers rather than having to have them explained to her. So I think that's why they were sort of, um, you know, perhaps thinking of sort of changing her character if she'd gone on to do another series or, you know, perhaps replacing her as eventually happened. But but I, I don't really see that. I think her and Pertwee really get on well. You know, there's lovely moments between the two of them in this. Um, and it's a shame, actually, because I'll be honest, I often forget about Liz Shaw, when, when we talk about companions, I don't know about you, but I always sort of tend to sort of think of the same one, Sarah Jane, Leela, Ace, they're my absolute favourites. But And then I watch stories like this, and I think, God, Liz was great. You know, I love, love the stuff between her and the Doctor when he's trying to escape, and she's sort of always sort of got his back as well. And I love all that. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I will admit, I often forget about Liz as a companion. I think she gets a bit sort of lost sometimes but she's great i really do think she's great she does get lost a little bit i yeah. think just because of those do, more iconic more re- well-remembered names of female companions but she's do, very do you think that the, the the you know the balance is right between the doctor and the companion though in terms of liz and the doctor because i think that's the thing they felt like the balance just wasn't there they were too equal but i think it makes for a nice change it makes for a nice dynamic that you've got somebody that can sort of do or knows exactly what the doctor's talking about and can just get on with it rather than having to explain it to him all the time. But I mean, I know we need it as the viewer, but you know, I, I, I just think it makes for a refreshing change. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. I think that's what I said a minute ago. It's sometimes you don't want the whole, just somebody running around screaming. Well, it's sort of sad really in a way because the next series, I mean, Joe Grant, one of my favorite companions, but you can see what they've done there. They've thought, right, we'll get rid of, she's too equal to the doctor. We need to give the doctor someone that he's, because she comes in and says, you know, oh, I did physics, whatever. And I didn't say I passed and all that lovely stuff. But they do give the doctor sort of a more, um, I don't want to say, 
I can't, I'll choose my words carefully because I love Joe Grant, but you know what I mean? They give him a companion in the next series where he just has to explain everything to her and she does scream a bit. And, you know, as much as I absolutely adore Joe Grant, but you can see the sort of, they've switched the dynamics back to what they feel it should be by the next series. Absolutely. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, she's not exactly a damsel in distress, but no. she comes across as needing a lot more. And I mean, Joe's one of my favourite companions. Yeah. yeah, if anyone's listening, don't take that the wrong way because I love Joe Grant. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You can see the, the the difference between two companions, but I think that difference is good. Mm. You know, I think it makes it more interesting. No, I think so. Yeah, and yeah. I think Liz, Liz Shaw, she's definitely, in some ways it's good because it also gives the Doctor something to, he feels like he's got more of a an aid with the scientific stuff. Yeah. You know, in in the parallel universe bit where he's talking to her her equivalent in that universe. He actually loses his rag a couple of times. It's like, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. your your counterpart would have, you know, got this straight away and would have, you know, helped these people rather than, you know, whatever else. So the, the, the couple of times where he he really needs her, he feels mm-hmm. like, he, you know, he's he, he misses her and her kind of scientific brain, if you like, and, yeah. and all that stuff. So that, that makes for some really cool scenes when they're separated. But yeah. The th- the thing is, Liz is she's quite in terms of Caroline John's look. Is she's quite stern looking at times, isn't she? Yeah. So maybe that also because with Joe, she's so cuddly and lovely, you sort of instantly warm to her. Where, <laughs> whereas I suppose you don't get that with Liz Shaw. You know, she's very much a, a different sort of kettle of fish. So I suppose it's slightly harder to warm to her in that respect. But mm. yeah, just in, terms of the, style, in terms of the casual it? viewer, I mean. Yeah. Just a different style of companion, I suppose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you think to, I know we, we touched on him very briefly, but Nick Courtney then. Ah, oh, he's amazing in this. <laughs> I love him in this. The stuff between him and Pertwee is magic. It's absolute magic from beginning to the parallel world to the, the end scene, which just absolutely admin stitches where the doctor's more or less telling the brig to shove it, isn't it? That's so funny. <laughs> that last, he's like, well, I'm going to be off now and you're pompous, whatever. And then, you know, goes and lands the TARDIS in the bin and has to come back with his tail between his legs. And the brig's just stood there all smug. I mean, it is just brilliant. He really is. Um, but he, yeah, he thrives in the parallel universe. You can see he's loving that stuff. Being, great, you know, man. yeah, he's really bashing out the orders. It's fantastic. Yeah. And that, that last scene as well where he thinks he's got one up on him and he's giving that yeah. part in little, yeah, just like you said, you pompous idiot or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the doctor's been building up. He's been waiting for that moment. Oh, dear, he doesn't quite make it. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love yeah. the fact that he calls Stalin a, a, a nitwit as well. Halfway yeah. Through. You, <laughs> sir, are a nitwit. A nitwit. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. But no, the brig's great. And, uh, you know, the, the, the subtlety of just removing the moustache and giving him the eye patch and stuff like that. And there's a great scene where Pert was looking at a, um, a an old school photo or something, isn't it? Uh, yes, right, yeah. He's like, oh, I can see why you grew the moustache. And all those little scenes, um, I mean, yeah, the, John Pertwee and, and um, Nick Courtney, you, you, just the chemistry there is, is you just can't make that sort of thing up. It's either there and it, or it isn't. And uh, it's there in abundance with those two, I'll tell you. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, what have we spoken about? Story, production, characters, music. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you want to go through before we put a score on it? I'm, I'm just looking at my list and I think, yeah, I'm pretty much covered it. I, the only other thing I'd written great cliffhangers. I think that's one thing about this story is, uh, you know, I could rattle through a couple of episodes at a time quite easily. 
um, on this one. It wasn't a slog at all, even though it's a seven-parter, but especially the cliffhanger to, I think it's episode four, where you've got the countdown. That is a brilliant cliffhanger. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, five, it's all building up the tension four. It's superb, and I, I put that down to the direction of Dougie Canfield. I think it's... um. Yeah, but all the cliffhangers in this are really good. I think if I was, if you were watching this back in the day live, you know, without the luxury of being able to go on to the next episode straight away, I think you'd be like, oh, you know, quite a lot. Mm. So, um, but yeah, no, just looking at my notes, um, I think we've pretty much covered it. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, overall, there. Okay, well, let's put a score on it then, and we'll we'll summarise. So, I think it's you to go first, dude. Yeah, well, I'm going to go for a nine out of ten. Um, I think great cast. Great story, brilliant direction. Um, I really, if anything, maybe it could have, it's just one episode too long, but it, I don't get bored at all with it. I just, I just find it a great, great story. I love it. So yeah, nine out of 10. Yep. I'm, I'm on board with you on that one, dude. I'm going to give yeah. it a nine as well. You actually yeah. just read my mind as well. I haven't put it in my notes, but now you just mentioned it. This could have been, if this was a six parter, uh, this would have been nigh on perfect, I think, because there was a couple of bits you can in some of the chase scenes as well when the doctor's running away from from units or some of the, the zombies and stuff that does go on for quite a long time yes you know they've dragged certain things out to fill up the time and whatnot so if it was a six pass he didn't have to do so much of that but other than that it, this is just what all this is what classic who's about this is like this brilliant storytelling yeah it is, and I guess say even the, the the difference between this and some of the poetry stories, which are six or seven parts, is I don't think any of the episodes are duds. But you could, there's a couple of times where they repeat things, so I think you know you could easily condense one of the episodes into one or the other. But but there's no episode in this where I'm sat there thinking, oh, you know, come on, <laughs> this is dull. The, like the tension is there all the way through, which I think is quite a, an achievement for seven episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yep, yep. I concur, dude. Right. What did our awesome listeners think? We had, a, yes. we had a couple of audio clips in. Let's crack on with these. The first one, a regular reviewer from Down Under. This is Sammy Satine. Hey, Gary and Adam. Sammy Satine here. So, Inferno. Well, this was just the tonic I needed right now. Ruffles! Also, Christopher Benjamin and Sir Keith Gold, the same actor who played Henry Gordon Jago himself. Ah, oh, Ruffles. Anyway, I like Inferno. It's possibly the only time Classic Who did a parallel universe. Heck, it's only been done one more time since. The reason I like Ruffles is because you know how he'd react in any given situation. He's charming, he'll protect you, and he's the doctor I'd happily travel with because he'd keep you safest, even if he's a bit stern. I like Liz too. She's smart, kind, and I don't think she gets enough love. I give it 10 prime lords out of 10. See ya. 10 oh, you're 10 yes that's more like it yeah nice one sammy glad you're liking that yeah. one on ruffles right. she loves ruffles yeah uh right this is ian ian stevens ian from france hi ian from france here to talk about inferno well what do we have here if not one of the greatest who stories of them all Pertwee is on fire. Hard to believe that this is his first series because he absolutely owns it. Charismatic, charming, oozing confidence. The camera loves him. Starman, one of the best performances from a protagonist I can think of. His cold, calculating intelligence is delivered with real conviction. And when he turns into a prime ward, it's bloody hilarious. Talking of which, the only real weak point of the story are the prime wards, which just look a bit silly. 
but sound great. And that sound design, was it ever better in Classic Who? Extraordinary. The constant rumble of the drilling machinery in the background, an ominous warning that something bad is coming. The writing is razor sharp too. Each character perfectly crafted in just a scene or two with some belting one-liners from Starman's withering, you let me worry about the drilling and I'll let you worry about your canteen, to the dock and evil Briggs, I don't exist in your world, then you won't feel the bullets when we shoot you. And the alternate universe characters are so much fun, Liz, Benton and the Brig hamming it up like the true thespes they are. A stone cold classic this, 10 spewing jets of lava out of 10. Yes, 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 yes. Alors, c'est Sufi, je parti, à bientôt, mes Another. Do you think Ian liked it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, another big thumbs up there from Ian. I'm glad France. he remembered that line about the um, the bullets. That, I, I made a note of that, I forgot to say, that was such a good line as well, um, about, um, oh, you know, I don't, I don't exist in your world. And the Briggs like, yeah, well, you won't feel the bullets hit you then. It's brilliant. Just yeah. brilliant writing. Sometimes the script is just razor sharp. Razor cool. sharp. Yeah. yeah. And to just a quick one, uh, when Ian sent his, his review in over email, he did say that he'd picked up a couple of times that we wondered what he was saying at the end of his reviews when he signs off. He's asking us if we want some pate, isn't he? Uh, well, he's given <laughs> no, us a sorry. translation. Uh, so when he goes through that sign-off at the end, what it means roughly in English is, all right, that's enough, I'm off, see you soon, my friends. Oh, really? I'd, yeah. I'll be honest. Ian, I thought you were just saying goodbye in like a, a load of different languages. God, that shows how <laughs> thick I am. Yeah, I genuinely so. thought he was just saying goodbye in lots of different ways. Yeah, well, there now you we go. know. Ian's sign-off in French uh, is actually quite nice. Brilliant, love yeah, it. Very nice. Thanks, that, Ian. Moving on, this is Martin Arnold. Hi everybody, I hope we're all uh, hope we're all doing well. It's difficult out there, so let's all be safe. Um, Doctor Who Inferno, brilliant end to a brilliant season. Um, I mean, this is one of the best first seasons for a Doctor I think there is, really. Um, although I'm, I'm struggled to think of any that, that kind of aren't. Um, the alternate reality, what a, what a dark place. I mean, that extraordinary twist you know the brigade leader is this this desperate man trying to maintain control of this kind of weird fascist state um the guy in charge of this experiment is steadily losing his marbles um and everything goes horribly wrong and ultimately the doctor just escapes um a clear message there um similar to what we've had in in new who but with a little more subtlety i i guess in some respects at least um, Inferno indeed, I'd give this an 8 out of 10, it's it's an absolute classic, it's eerie um, and it's a really in-depth, great story, cheers. An 8, mm. very respectable. Yeah, nice one Arnold, I hope you're doing okay as well buddy, I hope you're keeping safe. But an 8, yeah, it's a good score. Uh, right, a cheeky chappy, Alex Kingdom. <laughs> Hello, Garen Adam of the Big Blue Box podcast, how are you both doing? Inferno. Now, I normally don't like seven-parters because I think they're a bit long and normally a few parts don't really work for me. However, in this part, uh, in this case, sorry, Inferno is a brilliant seven-part story which is fun throughout for me. There aren't many lulls within the story where I get bored and start reading from my phone like I do in most seven-part stories because they are so long. And normally with a seven-parter, I have to watch it in different chunks. With this one... I could probably watch it all the way through if I wanted to. Pertwee is amazing in this. 
The Brigadier is on form. All the unit characters are brilliant. I love the concept of the story. Uh, it's just it's just fun throughout, really. I've got to give it an 8.5 out of 10. I just think it's really good. It's not Pertwee's best, which is why I haven't put it any higher on the scores. But it's certainly a cracker. And it's one that I go back to the most out of Pertwee's first series. All the best, guys. See you next week. A pretty high score again. Yes, cheers. I'm wondering now, though, what is his, if it's not Percy's best, what does he consider Pertwee's best, I wonder? Yeah. Mm. Let's know, Alex. Let's know, Alex. Alex. For me. For oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's know, Alex. Well, thanks for the review, though, dude. All good. Hope you're staying safe. And lastly, this is Craig Bryce. Hi, guys. Hope you're both keeping safe during this difficult time. So, but let's get down to this. Inferno. What a story to watch whilst we're in lockdown. I mean, I love Series 7, um, but what a perfect story to finish off a brilliant series. I love the whole storyline with the Parallel Earth and the Inferno project. I love it all. Um, the biggest highlights for me is Olaf Pulis Starman. I mean, what a great villain. And Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier and the Brigade Leader. It just shows what a great, versatile actor he really is. The only negative is, um, negative is um, this is Caroline John's last story, sadly, but she does come back in a couple of cracking big Finnish audios with the, Bluetooth, with the Bluetooth and the last post. And the only other negative is the Primords. I do like them, but I prefer them in their more human-like state rather than the werewolf-looking state. But it's a little thing. It's a brilliant story. Um, all in all, I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10. Brilliant. Absolutely love it. can watch it in all in one go. Thanks, guys. Speak to you next week. Bye. Another high score. Another good one. Yes, and I'm so glad you mentioned the last post. I'd forgotten all about that. Uh, it's a big finish by James Goss. It's really good. My word, I haven't listened to that for ages. I'm going to go and dig that out. I've completely forgotten about the last post. I, I don't know if you've heard it, maybe. It's great. Uh, I know of it. I've not heard of it. I've not heard yeah, the story, though. It sounds good, though. Caroline John reads it. It's, it's one of the companion chronicles where they oh, sort yeah. of read the story rather than full cast. Mm. Really good stuff. Yeah. Glad to glad you reminded me of that. Good stuff. Well, that does it for our audio reviews. Thank you so much, guys, as always, for sending in your clips there. I'm just going to rattle through some of the social media ones. We had a few on Twitter. Our writer, Jordan Shortman, says a fantastic story. The whole cast is on tip on top form and Pertwee is electric uh, even though it's his first series I've always loved Liz Shaw and Caroline John does a tremendous job as does the great Nick Courtney this is a masterclass is in how to write who well mm. Edward Gillooly says an all-time classic that manages through its parallel universe storyline to sustain seven episodes the primords are great the who cast the whole cast are on form an eight out of ten Mm -hmm. uh, Caitlin Dalek 100 says wow what a banger of a Pertwee <laughs> story albeit a bit long as seven parts however still great and really enjoyable to watch whenever re-watching all the cast are amazing and so enjoyable I'm always really intrigued by the take on the parallel world stuff awesome another 8 out of 10 mm. Nick H says this is my favourite classic who story a 10 out of 10 I can't praise it enough the Doctor loses one world but is able to save hours Support cast are all great. And lastly, Davros says, this is right up there for me, a true classic. Pertwee is at his irresistible best. The big, uh, sorry, the brig shines in both his roles. Great performances all round and a mirror universe plot that has been copied many times by others, but rarely bettered. Yeah. Uh, Pertwee at his best. And over on Facebook, we had Zach Jenkins says, I love everything about this story. Always up for a rewatch. Gordon Hudson, don't you just love the TARDIS console in a garage? Yes. Jeff Waddle <laughs> says, which is appropriate. 
because I feel like we're in an alternate timeline just now. Yeah. Absolutely. Good point. Uh, Joseph Howarth, Inferno is by far one of my favourite stories from John Pertwee's era and such a dark story. Soundtrack is atmospheric. There's a lot of tension throughout the story and everyone's on top form. A nine out of ten. Charlie mm-hmm. Turner. Uh, not that bad of a story, but I will need to rewatch it uh, at some point soon. Uh, I'll get back to you on the next time if that's all right. Yeah, of course, Charlie. No worries. Yes. Max Baird says, Stallman is infuriating, but I suppose that's the point. Overall, a very <laughs> good episode. One of a select few that manages to justify having seven parts. Everyone played both versions of their character extremely well, and the episodes was paced very well. Overall, one of the best Pertwee episodes uh, and enjoyable rewatch. Nine out of ten. Nine, okay. That's good. Uh, Millie McKenzie, I just rewatched this last week. I'd forgotten it was seven parts. The lack of music with the constant noise of the drill always in the background, often causing the characters to be shout to be heard uh, and creates incredible tension. Uh, it moves at a great pace, seldom boring. The two world narrative fills a story successfully without any filler episodes. I find the primoids a bit odd and can't figure out the reason why green goo from the earth's crust would turn a man into a werewolf. But that makes for a good scary uh, threat for the kids to enjoy behind the sofa. And she goes on to give it a 10 out of 10. And uh, lastly, my good friend Nick Gill says, Inferno is one of my all-time favourite stories. Certainly top five, if not top three. It might be seven episodes uh, as per two of the other stories from this season. But oddly, doesn't feel as padded out as Ambassadors of Death or the Silurians. No, that's right. Uh, That's a good point, yeah. Uh, The soundtrack is awesomely atmospheric. some of which is from Delia Derbyshire. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, the the Delian mode, uh, which adds to the feel. So that's mm-hmm. it for Twitter and Facebook and the socials. Thank you so much, guys, for your thoughts and reviews, as always. Next week, bud, what we got? So, yes, next week we are going back to Torchwood uh, to see our old friend, Billis. Remember him? Oh, Billis. We yeah. left it when we last <laughs> left him, he was... Mending some clocks and doing God knows what, but we'll find out now because we're going to be going and watching End of Days. End of Days from Torchwood. Torchwood, End of Days, yes. Uh, Okie dokie, yeah, so get your DVDs and Blu-rays and Torchwood is now on BBC iPlayer as well, so no excuse to get Torchwood watched and reply with your thoughts and reviews, which we'll be asking for as usual to keep keep an eye on the socials on Monday for that stuff. And I think we'll do there, bud, for 260. All righty. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for sticking with us here at the Big Blue Box. It's been awesome talking through... Uh, and reviewing Inferno. It's a story that we've wanted to do for so long, but as Adam said earlier, it seems to get bounced around on our schedule for the last year or so, but we finally did it, so that's all good. And we gave it a really decent score as well. Nines, dude. It's a good score. Yes. Uh, next week, as Adam said, end of days from Torchwood. Get that watched, because we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews on that as always. So check out the socials and keep an eye out on Monday when that goes out. In the meantime head over to our website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our shows on there, plus you can link off to the various podcast networks and apps, or just do a search for us on there and make sure you give us a sub so you don't miss a show and it lands every single Friday morning. And if you've got a minute to give us a review and a rating, that would be awesome because that really helps us out lots and lots. We're on the socials too. Again, links are on the website to go off to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. 
just give us a like and a follow there so we can chat Doctor Who with you guys each and every week. We also have a Discord server. I'll put a link in the show notes to that or just do a search for Big Blue Box Discord. We've got a cool little community building up over there where you can just come and hang out and chat Doctor Who, which is great. And we're also on YouTube now doing the live streams as well. So plenty of ways to interact with us in between shows, which is all good. Remember also to go and check out my co-host's YouTube channel, The Geek's Handbag. Yes, the old Geek's Handbag. Go and have a look. Go and have a peruse (laughs) around Adam's. And lose yourself. Yeah. So as I say every week, and it's absolutely worth doing, go and make yourself a cup of tea, get comfy, and then just do a search for the, The Geek's Handbag. Go and check out Adam's videos. Loads and loads of cool videos there. And Adam is also on the socials too. So again, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Just do a search for The Geek's Handbag. And let's all connect into a good, lively, safe community where we can chat about Doctor Who, uh, which we do every week. So get involved and do that. Until next week, buddy, for episode 261. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. So please, everybody, take care of yourself. Stay safe and stay healthy. We'll see you next time. Remember, and... Hey. 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 Hey.